Welcome back. This is Dr. Jim Schrader and Living a Whole Christian Life. I hope it's been a great week wherever you are, whatever the temperatures are this week. This is now our 20th podcast together. It's so great to be with you each week and to talk about things that really matter in our lives. Oftentimes, maybe things that we don't even get a chance to um, converse around. You know, we talked a lot about the framework, and this, this week we're going to continue our journey through technology and how technology relates to the framework of holiness with a WH. Again, much of this material is taken from my book, Holiness, entitled The Unified Pursuit of Health, Harmony, Happiness, and Heaven. So we're going to start off where we left off last week in the discussion around technology. And the question posed, and the question I think that we all really have to consider, is this. Is our tech usage increasing our health, harmony, happiness, and holiness Or are we exchanging this for convenience and experience? I think it's one of those things that's so easy for us to just get busy with our lives and go about kind of what the monoculture of today is. And by the way, when we talk about monoculture, this was a term um, defined by F.S. Michaels years ago. And monoculture is this idea that we start to adopt a reality, kind of a definition of what you're supposed to do, that really takes over at any particular time of history. And the challenge with a monoculture is that once you begin to adopt kind of the definition of reality and the way you're supposed to act, you often do so unconsciously, right? You don't even think about it, and you're not even sure sometimes why you're making the choices that you do make. But what you know for sure is that if you step outside of the monoculture, immediately you become countercultural. Immediately, people kind of question why you're not following the going trends. So over the years, we've had many different monocultures. We've had monocultures related to religion and economics, many different types of monocultures. But really today, we're definitely in the midst of what we would call the technological monoculture. And that is that even though really we're very early in this new stage of the communication revolution, again, if you think about it, the iPhone was just released literally 15 years ago, which seems impossible because polls indicate that most people can't live without their smartphones, or at least that's what they say. So even though we're really, really early, this is just a blip in the history of our world, we're no doubt in this middle of this technological monoculture. And so this is where we get back to this question about what role is technology playing in our lives, and are we exchanging health, harmony, happiness, and the search for holiness for other things that we maybe deem as even being more important. So a little ways back, a series of articles, I talked about this topic, and I I really keyed in on one word. I think this is the word we have to ask ourselves when we define, you know, what this revolution is about. And the word is better, right? You often think about, like, the context of better, like what is better than, you know, the the preceding opportunities, what's better in our lives, you know, what's a better option? And so I think the challenge with technology is if we think about this, when we define better as it relates to technology, what we often think about is one, it provides us with greater convenience. Two, it provides us with a wide range of information that we could have never imagined. I mean, I grew up, again, I kind of talked about this last time, but I grew up in the age when, you know, you still looked up Encyclopedia Britannica for information that you couldn't find elsewhere. And of course, that in and of itself was incredibly limited compared to what we had today. But that at the time was like, that was the wide array of information. And that's just laughable today when we think of what's available on the internet, right? So we have the sense of better convenience, the sense of, you know, a wider array of information. And we have these opportunities for immediate 
emotional experiences. I think in many ways, this is what social media does for, for all of us or for most of us is that it provides this immediate emotional experience. Maybe it's a sense of inspiration, right? You just, there's a real quick clip or picture or whatever, or there's a meme, whatever shows up. Maybe it's a sense of kind of emotional experience about our anger about particular topics that we can dive into on the internet and find something that supports our opinion. It's a wide range, but it, what the key is that it provides these immediate emotional experiences that I would argue are difficult, or at least more difficult, when you think about things like books or you know, other kinds of experiences that we had in the past. So here's what happens is that we define better when it comes to technology as it primarily relates to these three things, right? Convenience, the wide array of information that's available, and the immediate, really emotional experiences. But in the process, that word better, as we again adopt that kind of monoculture definition, what we've given way, honestly, you know, I think if we're really frank about this topic, is we've given away thinking about what's better. Well, let's just start with our health in general, our health and well-being. If I asked you right now the way you're using technology for all of us, I think this is really a question we have to ask ourselves, is, is the technology improving your physical health, your psychological health, right, including that's our emotional health, our social health and abilities, and our spirituality, then it gets, I think, really challenging. In the midst of all that, we're talking about, of course, our harmony with others and our happiness, but just think of your holistic health, your physical, psychological, social, and spiritual health. And when we ask ourselves, is technology improving that area or is it decreasing that area? This is when better becomes more challenging, right? And so I'm going to talk a little bit about some data from the past 40 or 50 years. And I want to be clear that this data is not just related to technology use, but probably a number of factors. But as technology has been on the rise, you know, even prior to the internet, you know, we saw trends occur with the advent of television being used more widely and many other things. But over the past 40 or 50 years, we're seeing an increase undoubtedly in a lot of different psychological conditions, especially in the last, you know, couple decades. That includes anxiety conditions, depression, mania, inattention. I mean, many, many different conditions, even related to psychotic conditions. We're seeing the increase across the board. And previously it was thought, well, maybe we're just being more, you know, open about these areas. Maybe, you know, previous generations were afraid of the stigma more than we are today. And in fact, actually, that there is some truth to that, that fortunately the stigma around these areas has decreased, of course, not been eliminated. And we are more open today based on all the research. But even when we factor in our openness, it really doesn't eradicate at all the significant, significant increase in so many areas of psychological functioning. At the same time, we're seeing increased evidence of decreased social communication skills. And I'm not talking about connectedness here. I'm talking about the actual, what I'd call the nuts and bolts of our ability to have conversations with others. You know, our ability to use a lot of nonverbal communication, our gestures and our eye contact and our subtle change and affective expression in many different things. We're seeing that there seems to be a decline in, honestly, people's ability to communicate with each other effectively. We're seeing an increase in obesity. In fact, in 20-year period, there was a dramatic change between 1990 and 2010 when the, each state previously somewhere around 16% or so didn't have any, I guess, level of obesity over about 16 to 20%. 20 years later, no state had less obesity than that percentage there. We go further. We're, we're actually seeing polls from the last 80 years 
with an increased focus on status and image versus things like civic mindedness and deeper meaning. And, you know, an area like pornography, which has just exploded and is now outgrossing CBS, ABC, and NBC combined when it comes to revenue. I want to point out again, there's a lot of different trends happening here. Clearly, technology isn't the only thing related to these, but As you watch the story of technology and really speaking about the communication technology and media in our lives, so along the way is coming increased evidence that how we're using technology today is unfortunately associated with a lot of negative trends when it comes to our physical, psychological, social, and spiritual health. And of course, our communities are struggling. As a psychologist, I have to kind of note too, we are you know, we've been in the midst of a mental health crisis for a number of years, but we are so busy, even at the clinic I work, that we have trainees who are right now scheduled out about 10 months for new clients to see those who are still in training. So, you know, I go back to that quote previously, Thoreau said again, and I asked this question, are we becoming tools of our tools? I know that maybe sounds a little harsh, but, you know, we really owe it to ourselves when we think about the framework of holiness that anything that we have and use should bring us closer to God and bring us closer to God's image and likeness of ourselves and not further away. You know, I mean, you think that it's self-evident that if, if something that we're using that's supposed to be designed for good is actually causing us to struggle more and struggle in the ways that you know, take us away from God's image for ourselves, then we're in a difficult position here. And there's a particular line that C.S. Lewis talks about. I think this is kind of very convicting, and it has to do with our distractions. And here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, quote, Christians describe the enemy, i.e. the devil, as one, quote, without whom nothing is strong. And nothing is very strong. Strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why in the gratification of curiosity so feeble that the man is only half aware of them, end quote. So in essence, what C.S. Lewis is saying here is as if he's suggesting that maybe the devil isn't just in the details, but maybe the devil's as much in the distractions of our day. And I know that's a really tough message for us to think about, because, you know, naturally, when we're all really busy, we're going to be distracted regardless. But when you think about C.S. Lewis, and again, he was writing well before the internet, well before anything was around, you know, he was already saying that these distractions, which seem so maybe mindless and harmless and, you know, not a big deal, like the big sins that we think about, in many ways, maybe they're even worse. Like collectively over time, maybe they're stealing the spirit of who we are. They're stealing ourselves, again, from realizing our capacity as God would have us. Um, and this is, this is the challenge. You know, this is the challenge, I think, of our monoculture today is we are perpetually distracted people. And I realize that's not a new thought that you probably haven't heard. But each day I think about this because, you know, the days go by and, you know, you grow older and you begin to look back and you think about what have I done and, and have I really followed God's call and have I really lived out the roles that I want to live out? distractions sometimes in the end, again, maybe more than the big mistakes that we make might be the biggest thing derailing us from the person that we're called to be. So it's not that technology isn't amazing and it's not that it doesn't hold all sorts of possibilities. And clearly God created a world where we've got these unseen waves that can allow for the internet and 
allow for all this transmission to occur. So it's as if God created a world, certainly, that was facilitating technology. I mean, it's, I think, hard to deny this world didn't have to be created in that way. But in the midst of all the amazement, in the midst of all of the things that really are remarkable about technology and the, you know, the possibilities that it does hold, I think the biggest risk is that what we're doing here is that it's not so much that technology is a means to an end, but rather we're kind of making tech an end of itself. We're, in essence, kind of making it a defining gold standard of our lives, right? We're defining our lives increasingly around the technology. Again, not the technology around our lives. And we're kind of allowing technology. I mean, how many times have you lamented? How many times have we said, good Lord, I can't believe I'm like, you know, looking at this like again, I feel like I'm distracted. I, I don't have any silence. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's another text. Like how many times have you lamented the fact that you feel like technology is one running the show, not the other way around? And so it behooves us to become more intentional. And we're going to talk next week about some ideas around this and, and kind of a new vision, a whole vision for what, you know, I think that technology really could be and how it could line up well and really actually come in sync with our design and God's design for this world instead of being in constant conflict with that design. So as you think about this idea, you know, I'm sitting here at the age of 45 and, you know, depending on how old you are out there listening, you're at, you know, various points of your life and maybe you know, you're younger and just coming into adulthood, or maybe you're getting ready for retirement or well past. But I can't help but think about what's often defined as the final stage of our life. Years ago, Eric Erickson kind of developed what was called and pretty well known as the psychosocial stages of development. And the final stage of development that he talked about in all of our lives is what he described as integrity versus despair. By the time you look back over the course of your entire life, what you desire ultimately is to feel a sense of integrity about what's occurred. Not, not that things weren't, you know, at times really rough or difficult, and certainly no life is perfect. But when you look back at your life, that there's a sense of that your life held great meaning. There was a real purpose by which you lived, ultimately. And what comes out of that in a positive resolution is the sense of wisdom, um, the sense of understanding things at, you know, a much greater level and understanding what's most important. But the negative aspect of what can come out of that, if you look back over your life and you really don't see um, the meaning and, and the joy that you desire is that there can be a sense of despair for people. And I think that's maybe why, you know, so sometimes even older people in general have such high rates of suicide, especially older men, is there's a sense of despair and wondering what had really gone on. So if we took that perspective right now and wherever you are in your life, if you imagine yourself in that final stage, as it currently stands, here's an interesting reflection to consider when it comes to technology that the current generation as it stands right now with the average life expectancy of 78 to 82 years, depending on male or female, will have spent somewhere around 15 to 20 years at least of their life on a screen. 15 to 20 years. So as we kind of close out this discussion today, consider this. If you look back over your life, the final stage of your life, and you look back and you thought, I've given 15 to 20 years of my life to a screen, what would we think about that choice? What would we think about how we've spent that aspect of our lives? I know it's not an easy question, but it's got to be a necessary one for all of us who are pursuing holiness in a very whole way. This is Jim Schrader. Be holy, be whole.